So I, I have a true story to tell you today. If you are in a family, especially a bigger family, or if you are, let's say you own a company, or you help to lead or manage a company, or if you are involved in any group of people that are growing or will grow at some point and will have a divergence of opinions or have some diversity, then uh, this will be a useful story for you. Uh, this is a true story that happened in the early Yeshua movement. About 2,000 years ago, Yeshua had lifted off of planet Earth from the Jerusalem area. He left his guys with a mission. They were empowered by God's Spirit shortly after that. And within the uh, span of a couple months, they quickly coalesced, not just into a little group of disciples, a couple hundred, like you're talking several thousand, all in the city of Jerusalem. It became a very busy hub. And like we, like we talked about in the story last week, there were disciples of Yeshua there, not just from Israel, but from pretty much every country on the planet that were there for uh, that festival of Shavuot when God's Spirit really broke out. So, anyway, in this story, the early community of Yeshua's disciples was growing very rapidly. They had new faces showing up every day. They were constantly taking people down to the water and dunking them in the water, uh, immersing them as a sign of their discipleship to Yeshua and their union with him. And there were a lot of the Kohanim. Uh, there were quite a few priests that were becoming obedient to the faith also. And uh, the apostles were like working overtime. They were very busy. They were teaching in the temple, telling the stories about the master, conveying his teachings and expositing the Holy Scriptures in general. And uh, they were also going from house to house just talking about Yeshua the Messiah and teaching all of these new people, thousands of new people. I'll have to give you two little areas of background before we can really jump into this story. Uh, number one, everybody in the early Jerusalem community didn't speak the same language. They were multilingual. There was a large number of them that spoke Hebrew as their mother tongue. Uh, they were called the Hebrews. Everybody say the Hebrews. The Hebrews. Yeah, in, in Hebrew they were called the Ivrim. And then there were also a subset of people that spoke Greek as their mother tongue. And they were either called the, uh, the Greeks or the Hellenists. Everybody say Hellenists. And then, of course, because you had people from all these other countries that had shown up for Shavuot and suddenly overnight became disciples of Yeshua, you had some people from other languages also. But the two main language groupings in the early Jerusalem community were Hebrew and Greek. If you can imagine our community here in Prince Albert, and you had some people that spoke English as their first language, some people had Filipino as their first language, others had a French, let's say with their French Canadians from a Quebec or something as their first language, that's what it would be like. And there actually wasn't too much interchange between these, necessarily, linguistically speaking. So if you could imagine getting together with a community where some of the people only spoke Filipino and uh, had a very strong Filipino culture, others only spoke French and had a very strong French-Canadian culture, and then others only spoke English, you're beginning to get the feel for what that would have been like. And of course, the apostles themselves... Uh, they were pretty much all from the northern province of Israel, the Galil, so they had their own kind of country hick dialect of Hebrew. So that's kind of the category that they fell under. That's the first thing you need to know about this. The, this community was multilingual. The second thing you need to know is that Israel, as a country 2,000 years ago, was not like Canada or most Western countries today. Canada is a relatively socialist country. 
compared to Israel a couple thousand years ago. If you could imagine living in a country where there is no such thing as welfare, where there is no such thing as a pension plan for when you hit 65 and want to retire, where there's no such thing as life insurance if your spouse dies, you're beginning to get the feel for what Israel was like a couple thousand years ago. If you were a woman, it was especially challenging for you. If you got older and your husband died first, you you were facing some severe challenges in life. It would be very tough for you to eke out an existence, especially if you didn't have family to take you in and to take care of you in your old age. So widows in the ancient world in general, including Israel, they they were at a distinct disadvantage. It was very hard for them. And that is why God said in the Torah, make sure you take care of widows. Watch out for the the legal rights of widows. Because in that society, uh, it was very easy for people to take advantage of them and to uh, misuse them. And it was just so easy for them to fall through the cracks of society. So Yeshua, our master, he definitely taught his disciples to follow God's teaching in the Torah on that subject. Uh, The early Yeshua community of Jerusalem did a really good job taking care of widows. So if there are widows there that were older and they couldn't really work and support themselves, they didn't have a husband, uh, the Yeshua community would take those members under their wing. They would make sure that they had sufficient clothing, they had enough food to eat on a daily basis. So that's the second thing you you need to know about this story. Number one, it was multilingual. Number two, they had dependents. They had a high number of dependents. And that's where the problem came in. You combine those two factors with leadership that is primarily Hebrew-speaking people, and there's a problem that came up where a lot of the widows from the Greek-speaking subset were getting left out of the daily food servings. It's, it's hard to tell if there was some kind of a, a daily food line or maybe they were just getting like a small uh, stipend or allowance on a, a, a weekly or monthly basis or something. But whatever the case may be, the, the widows in the Greek-speaking subset of the Yeshua community, they were getting left out. They were going hungry. And that's no fun to go hungry. And so the Greek-speaking disciples registered a complaint with the apostles. They said, our widows are getting left out. Our widows are going hungry. This is not good. So Yeshua's apostles, they, they uh, called the whole community of disciples to get together. You're talking thousands of disciples here. Not, not that everybody would get together all the time, but in this instance, they did to talk this through. And Yeshua's apostles said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, because I'm just trying to tell this in story form, right? But they said, guys, it isn't good for us to uh, get pulled away from the Word of God, from teaching you the Word of God, from preaching Yeshua, these kinds of things. It isn't good for us to neglect that, to, to wait on tables and to spend all, spend all of our time making sure everybody gets fed. So here's the solution that we're proposing. We want you to select seven men from your midst, uh, guys whom you know well and have a good reputation. You know they're honest, you know they have integrity. Uh, guys that are full of the Holy Spirit, So these are men who have a prayer life. These are men who are spiritually sensitive. And uh, guys that are full of wisdom. So men who are intelligent, who have good common sense, and uh, who who get solutions from God. And I'm totally paraphrasing here, right? But I I hope I'm giving you the the spirit of the text. And if you want to follow along, it's in Acts chapter 6, just so you know. But they said, um, select seven men for yourselves like this. And uh, then we can devote ourselves full time to prayer and to the ministry of God's word. 
And uh, this, this solution, everybody gave it the thumbs up. It met with widespread approval amongst the disciples. And so they selected seven guys for themselves. And I'm going to see if I can name them all for you. Uh, there was Stephen, and he was famous for just being full of, like, full of faith in God. He was just like, he had so much faith in God. It was contagious. And he, uh, he, was, really, he was really full of God's power, too. And then there was also six other guys. There was Philip and Parmenas and Procurus. Say them after me. Pro- Parmenas, Procurus, Timon, Nicholas, and Nicanor. And actually, um, Nicholas, wasn't, he wasn't born and raised in Israel. He was actually not Jewish by birth, but he joined the Jewish people later in his life. I think it says he was from North Africa. Now, something you'll notice about those guys is almost all of them have Greek names. So it's probable that these guys were Greek-speaking guys. They were making sure that these guys would be able to take care of everybody in the community. So anyway, they selected these seven guys, and they stood them up in front of the whole community of disciples, and Yeshua's apostles laid hands on them to say that they were, uh, they were um, approving them for this task that they were giving them, and uh, they prayed for them. And that's the end of the story. Uh, the, the next story, if you're reading through the scriptures consecutive, consecutively, is a, a story that I told last night. It's about Stephen and how he actually went above and beyond just his administrative duties. And he was really preaching Yeshua and he got into hot water and he ended up getting killed as a result. So these guys were definitely more than just your average administrator dudes. But that's, that's the story for us today. And I'm just going to ask you some questions about this story and uh, share with you some of my thoughts. And then after I'm done uh, sharing some of my thoughts, uh, we can, I, I'm, I'm going to sit down and we can feel free to have some time to discuss it. And uh, you can share some of your thoughts also. So the first question I have for you about this story, is there, is there anything about this story that you really like? As you were listening to the story, just like, that's cool. It kind of puts a little smile on your face. Or, or is there anything about this story that bothers you? You're just like, wait a minute, I, I don't know about that. Um, maybe you like the fact that this community of Yeshua's disciples, even though it was so big and there were thousands of them, they still, they still had that personal touch. They were still caring for people that were disadvantaged. They were making sure that some of those older widows weren't falling through the cracks. Maybe you like that. Uh, maybe you like that they didn't do what many churches today do. When they hit a point where they realized we have some significant diversity here and there are people registering complaints, they didn't split. They didn't go their separate ways and become different denominations. They said, let's stay together, let's develop a creative solution to this problem. Maybe like that. Um, Maybe it bothers you that in this early community where it sounds like everyone was getting along so well and sharing their toys and helping each other, maybe it bothers you that there was diversity. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I thought everyone was the same and they would all get along and it's a problem. How come they had to have a problem? Maybe, maybe that bothers you uh, when you first heard that there, there was a complaint registered. How could they register a complaint against Yeshua's apostles themselves? Oh, Maybe, uh, maybe when you heard that story, you thought, wow, Yeshua's apostles, they're... How? How uncaring of them. How impersonal. Here they are, and they have all of these widows that need attention. And they don't have the time to take care of these widows. They're too busy praying. Oh, too busy teaching God's word. Doesn't God's word say to take care of widows? How come these guys aren't doing this part of the Torah? Maybe, maybe that bothered you. Maybe you thought that. 
maybe some of the early critics in uh, the Jerusalem community were kind of mumbling and murmuring those things to each other under their breaths too. Could it be? Did you ever notice that? In any community, there will always be people that can put a negative spin on anything and everything. It's kind of funny. I guarantee you there are people like that in the early Jerusalem community also, eh? So who knows, maybe there are some people that were mumbling stuff like that. Anyway, those are some things that maybe you liked or maybe bothered you a little bit about this story um, at first impression. Um, how about this? Is there anyone in this story that you can really relate to? Uh, we're, 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 some of the experiences that different people had from their different perspectives in the story. You could say, yeah, I, uh, I felt that way once or I had a similar situation. Uh, maybe you've had a time in your life when you could relate to the plight of the widows where they just, they just had a need and they didn't have the uh, material wherewithal to, uh, to get there. And people stepped in and people took care and people helped. I think we could all probably say, yeah, we've had times in our lives where we hit a crisis or we had a need and believers stepped in and helped and it was such a blessing and it really demonstrated the love of God to us. I think that's maybe something that we can relate to or maybe you can relate to the Greek widows who weren't having their needs met. Maybe you've been um, in, in, in your own family your extended family or maybe in some church scenario or community where you just were saying, I have needs and my needs are not being met. Maybe you can relate to those widows. Um, I think that happens to everybody at times in a community. Uh, maybe you can relate to the Greek subset of the early Jerusalem community. Can you imagine how they felt? I mean, here you are smack dab in the capital city of Israel, uh, mostly Hebrew and Aramaic-speaking nation, and that's not your first language. Your first language is Greek. Uh, not all conservative Jews really took a liking to the Greek language 2,000 years ago. You pr- they, they probably felt like a, bits of uh, misfits sometimes. They, uh, they may have felt a little bit like they didn't belong. And maybe you felt like that at some time in your life in a circle of friends or a community where even when you're in the middle of the group, you still feel like you don't totally belong. Maybe you felt marginalized to a certain degree. Or like you're always on the fringes. You're always a little bit different. Uh, maybe you can relate to the, uh, the feelings of the Greek-speaking disciples in the story. Uh, maybe you can relate to the experience of Yeshua's apostles where they were just working overtime when they were doing everything they could, and there was still more work to be done. There were demands on their time coming from every direction. You kind of get the feeling that people thought that the apostles were supposed to pretty much do everything. Like their job description was open, and anyone was um, entitled to write whatever they wanted into their job description. Uh, Maybe you've had times like that in your life where you've had uh, instances like that. If you're a mom, you probably get that all the time. You just like have to fill so many rules constantly and there are demands on your time from so many, so many different uh, perspectives and, uh, or maybe if you're like managing a business or that kind of thing often um, if you're in management you just end up having to do all sorts of things you're running around a lot with stuff uh, maybe you can relate to the apostles' feelings with that uh, maybe you can relate to the apostles' decision to specialize they went from being generalists to specialists. They said, you know, guys, there's something specific that we're called to, and we just can't do everything. We only have so much time. So we are going to delegate some work to some, another group of people so we can specialize in our strengths and what we're called to. Maybe you hit a point in your life, maybe it was a crisis point, where you decided you had to like cut some stuff out of your life and specialize in what you were best at. Um, Maybe you had a time in your life, probably that same period, where you realized that you needed to learn how to delegate work to other people, eh? Um, 
that can often be something that we hit also when we have a lot of responsibilities and only so much time. Delegation is really hard for some of us because we want to have our fingers in every pie. We want to be involved in everything. And because we think we're so hyper-competent that if we like hand anything off to anyone else, they might fudge. They might make a mess of it. You know, so for some of us, delegation can be a very challenging thing. And then maybe you can relate to these administrators. I mean, one day, they're just part of the community. They're helping out on whatever level. And then the next day, they're being called before thousands of people and being given a full-time job. It's like, wow, all of a sudden, they just get a new job. Maybe that's something else you can relate to in the story. So hopefully, as we look at these different groups of people and their experiences, you know, this story from the widow's angle, from the apostle's anger, angle, from the, the Greek-speaking disciples' angle, and uh, from the, these new administrators' angle, maybe you can really find yourself somewhere in that story. So, the two big questions that I want to ask you from the story are, uh, number one, what does this story tell us about people? Specifically, we're going to be looking at what this story teaches us about communities of people, uh, families or groups, and then also, uh, what does this story tell us about Yeshua? So this is going to be interesting. There are seven things that I could see that this story teaches us about us as people in community. Uh, Number one, it teaches us that in community, we will have diversity. Everyone is not going to be the same. So different people will relate in different ways. They'll have different social styles. They will use different lingo. In fact, they may even speak different languages. They may dress differently, have different dress styles. Um, In a healthy community, you will see significant diversity. Everyone's not going to talk the same, dress the same, have the same styles in a lot of different areas. And uh, this is probably something that we can learn about the Jerusalem community that would also apply to us as a community of Jewish disciples in the city. I, uh, I hope that we can welcome diversity and like embrace diversity and really enjoy it too. I think that's something I've come to appreciate being married. Like Genevieve and I are very not the same, hey? And I've come to be like, I've come to really enjoy looking at us and comparing us and being like, wow, I'm really different than her in this area. Wow, she's really different than me in terms of how she thinks or how she arrives at a decision. And uh, that's something I've really come to enjoy in marriage. And I, I think that's something that we can come to enjoy in community also, where we look at each other and we say, wow, you're really different than me in this area. And I like that. I like that we're not the same. It's, uh, I think it's something we can really like, kind of, we can really enjoy. Uh, Another thing we can see in this story about community is that hopefully communities grow. If they're healthy, they will grow numerically. And as they grow, it will hurt. Uh, My youngest brother, Colin, uh, he's pretty tall. He's like six foot two or so. And I remember when he he was around 13, he just started shooting up. And uh, oh man, how many inches did he put on that year? I can't remember if it was like a foot or something. But he was growing really fast, eh? And uh, he couldn't sleep at night often because he had growth pains. Like he would just lie there in bed and he would wake up and his limbs would be hurting because his cells were multiplying so fast and his body was stretching so rapidly and he would wake up in pain. And guess what? We, as the body of Messiah, as we, as we grow numerically, as we, as we have those little cells inside of us as a body that are multiplying, we're going to feel that too at times. There will be pain. Change hurts. But it's part of the deal. So that's something that we see about this early community. They were experiencing growth pains 
and that's something to be psychologically and emotionally prepared for in our community also. Uh, I mentioned last week how one pitfall that new believers fall into is they think, oh, it's always going to be a honeymoon. In our community, we're so in love and we never, ha- we never have any differences. And then maybe they hit their first difference or they encounter someone who's just a little mean. And they just crumple and they give up on God and they walk away from their fellowship and they never come back. And just just the importance of being prepared for certain things, this is something to be prepared for. As a community grows, it's gonna, we're going to face challenges. It's going to be tough at times. But you don't bail out any more than Colin was like, Duh, this leg, it hurts. Where's my machete? Off at the leg, right? This is the... You know, you don't just start chopping limbs or sabotaging your body because it's growing and it, and it hurts a little bit. Yeah, you, you cherish every, every limb in the body, even if it's giving you trouble, and you stay together. That's something we learned from this story. Uh, it's like developing creative solutions. Um, do, you, do you guys know the difference when you're reading the word between a prescriptive passage and a descriptive passage? This is really important. You could say that this is like basic Bible hermeneutics, right? So as you're reading the Bible and you're interpreting the Bible, I'm going to give you like just something really basic. A passage is either just describing something that happened to you, that's called descriptive, or else it's telling you how you should live or something you should do. That's prescriptive. You know, like if the doctor gives you a prescription, he's telling you this is what you should take, this is what you should do. That's a prescriptive passage. And then a descriptive is is just telling you what happened. So, I'll give you an example. When Yeshua was talking to Judas and he said, um, and he said, go and do what you have to do, and then Judas went out and betrayed the master and hanged himself, that's descriptive. It's just telling you something that happened. It's not telling you that you should go out and betray someone and hang yourself. Hey, just as a very, uh, a very wild example. Have you guys ever, ever heard that? You know, people who just kind of play Bible roulette and just open the scriptures and point and say, God, give me a verse for today. I need a verse for today. And uh, there was this one guy that did that and he opened the Bible and uh, it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. He said, oh God, that's terrible. Uh, give me another verse. I need a real verse. So he opened his Bible and pointed again and it said, go thou and do likewise. But oh no, oh no God, one more chance. Give me one more chance. So he opened the Bible and pointed again and it said, what you're about to do, do quickly. So anyway, I, I have played Bible roulette and sometimes it does work, kind of like real roulette. Sometimes you'll be on and sometimes you'll be off. But anyway, all that, that, that's just a funny example of like a descriptive and a prescriptive passage, right? So here's the big question. Here's this story about a community of disciples and they had a, they had a practical problem that they had to figure out. And so they came up with a solution. Let's uh, choose seven guys to become administrators for this community. Was that prescriptive? Or was it descriptive? Tell me what you think. Was it saying every Yeshua community should select seven men to be the administrators of that community? Yeah, it was descriptive. It was just telling us what happened, right? So, what's that? Yeah, right. And make sure they feed Greek-speaking widows. <laughs> so... So, like, that's, but that's, that's pretty important, right? Because sometimes people take passages that are descriptive and they try to make them prescriptive. So, so they say, well, this is what this group did, so this is what all groups should do throughout all time. And no, that's not, that's not the case. Basically, what it's saying here is this community had a little crisis and they developed a creative solution with the help of the Holy Spirit and, every, and most people gave it the thumbs up and it worked. Fantastic. And uh, it's, it's just a, it's a rosy story in that regard. 
So that's something that we learn from this story. We as a body will have growth pains and we get to come up with our own creative solutions as time progresses. It's a point where we don't bail, we come up with creative solutions. Don't chop off the leg, we just stick it out, eh? Um, The third thing that this story teaches us about community is that there will be times when my needs are not met. There will be times in our community where your needs aren't met. It doesn't matter what fellowship or church or synagogue you belong to. There will be times when you'll be disgruntled, when you'll not be satisfied, when you won't like the way things are, and when you will be like, I'm hungry. My needs are not being met. And that's the point where we get to make a choice. We either bail and we go to another group where we do the same thing. And some people do this with like, with community, some people do this with friendships. They're like, this is just a really bad trend in some people's lives. You either we either, we hit this point where we either bail, or we say, you know, I'm committed to this group of people. I'm going to engage. Let's talk this through. And that's when you talk with people in your group and you say, you know, this is the problem. This is how I see it. What can we do? And you develop a solution. You come up with something, right? So that's something that we learn from this community. That's what they did. Yay for them! Uh, The fourth thing that we can learn about community from this story is that you can't just plug in an hour or two every week with people and expect to really know each other and have that trust level. Did you notice that in the early Jerusalem community, uh, community, they, they knew each other pretty well. The apostles were able to say, pick seven guys that have a good reputation. Like these are guys you know are honest. These are guys that you can trust to handle your money without siphoning funds into their own personal accounts. These are guys that are are consistent. They're solid. They're trustworthy. And the community was able to say, yeah, we know exactly who fits that description. So that's something we see from this story. It's not just a group that, that got together in an artificial environment for an hour or two a week. It was a group that really did life together and they knew each other's good sides and also their bad and their ugly sides. And as a result, they were able to have a, build solid reputations with each other. Uh, the fifth thing... Oh yeah, one other thing about that story. Um, this was also a group that knew each other's callings. So they were able to say, yeah, you know, Yeshua's apostles, they have a specific calling to spend a lot of time in prayer, to spearhead this community in prayer, and, and to teach the word of God. And then they saw some other guys like Stephen, and they're like, this guy would be amazing just uh, doing administrative stuff, handling finances, uh, making sure that everybody gets food on a daily basis. This guy totally fits the bill. So that's kind of cool too, and I hope that we can continue as a community to be like, wow, you're really good at that. This is a real strength of yours. I think you're gifted from God in this area. And uh, I I love how we do have that feel in our community already, and uh, we can see that in the early Jerusalem group also. Um, The fifth thing that we learn about community from this story is that communities can have different mindsets or different, uh, you could say, modus operandi, modes of operation. Uh, The early Jerusalem community was in a growth mindset. Uh, They weren't like a little group. They just wanted to stay little and stay really comfortable. They were big, they were growing, and they were structuring the way they did life so that they could incorporate more people, disciple those people, and then probably send a lot of them out to other areas in Israel or send them back home to their respective countries. That was the early Jerusalem community. I would call that a growth mindset. And this applies in, uh, in uh, faith community. This applies in a, a business or company. Uh, this applies in a lot of areas in life. Uh, you can either have a growth mindset, or I'd say there are two other mindsets that you can have. You could have a maintenance mindset, 
where it's like business as usual, we're just trying to uphold the status quo, we don't really want to change anything. That's a maintenance mindset. And that's kind of like the middle of the road, you could say. Not that it's balanced or moderate, it's just unhealthy. But then you have the really unhealthy mindset, which is survival. That's where, like, the world is out to get us. We are just barely scraping by. We're kind of, we're kind of crawling along, dragging our guts behind us kind of mentality where it's just, the, like, where maybe where a community is almost dissolved, where they're almost falling apart, where a company is teetering on the verge of bankruptcy. That's what you would call a... Uh, a survival mindset, right? So if you look at any business or any uh, community, you'll see that. And just ask yourself that. Maybe if you're involved in a business or if you're involved in a faith community or if you know others, just ask, are these people, do these people have a survival mindset, a maintenance mindset, or a growth mindset? And this really applies in our personal lives too. Are you just trying to survive in life? That would be survival. Are you just trying to kind of stay the same and, you know, I got, my, I got my grade 12 diploma or I graduated and now basically I'm just going to cruise through life on autopilot or maybe you have a growth mindset where every day you want to learn something new, you want to develop new skills, you want to, I don't know, maybe make a bigger paycheck or uh, pray, pray, pray more passionately or you name it, different areas of life, right? Anyway, we can definitely see in the early Jerusalem community that they had a growth mindset and that made all the difference in how they came up with a solution to their, uh, their immediate problems. Um, the sixth thing that this story teaches us is that if communities do have a growth mindset and they are growing, they will hit a point where they'll have some administrative needs. So they're going to have to have someone to handle, handle the funds uh, to uh, take care of some of those practical things. I think sometimes we kind of have this romantic idea that, oh, you know, just totally organic and we'll just kind of just keep things really simple and we don't want to touch money as a community because money is, oh, icky, icky, you know, and we just don't want to go there or whatever. But what we see is like just on a hard and fast practical level, if you're in a survival or a maintenance mindset, you can get away with that. But if you're growing as a community and you're taking care of each other, yeah, you're probably going to have to have some people administratively gifted that take care of some of the nuts and bolts of the group, right? It's just a part of life. We have that in our community. It has to happen. Um, the seventh and last thing that, that um, this story teaches us that I, I could detect is that just like a community with a growth mindset needs administrators, a community with a growth mindset will also probably reach the point where it needs men who are full-time just praying and studying the Word of God and teaching the Word of God and preaching Yeshua. And uh, maybe we can talk about that for a couple of minutes also. Um, well, uh, I just want to take a couple of minutes here to talk not so much about community, but about like community leaders and stuff. And I hope the word leaders doesn't scare us. Um, it is a scriptural term. There's one place where Yeshua said, don't be called leaders because one is your leader. But then in the, uh, the, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews chapter 13, it says obey your leaders and submit to them. It uses the same word, right? What does that mean? Don't get into titles. Just do your job if you're called to some kind of leadership. Eh? Um, so let's, let's look at that. Um, what does this story teach us about people who are called to management rules, administrative functions, just the nuts and bolts of keeping a group going? Uh, one thing it teaches us is that you want to be locked into a community long term so you can build a good reputation so people know you for who you really are so they can see, yes, this is a consistent, this is a solid, this is a trustworthy individual. Um, sometimes I think when a community is looking for people to take care of practical nuts and bolts, they don't, look for, they don't necessarily look for a spiritual man. 
But did you notice the apostles said, choose seven men who are full of the Spirit. So these are men who had prayer lives. These are men who were spiritual. These are men who taught their families the Word of God. That's very important. Not to just look for men who are capable or a professional by background. Look for men who are full of the Spirit also. And then thirdly, it also says men who are wise. Maybe that applies to experience in general. Uh, men who uh, know what they're doing, uh, who are capable. I think those are things that we'd all love to grow in, hey? Not just if we uh, dream of one day being administrators or something. Um, then the other, the other group of leaders here we see in the story are the apostles. And uh, here's a question. Are all of us here called to pray? Are we all called to pray? Okay, yes, we're all called to pray. Are we all called to study the word of Elohim? Okay, yes, we are. Are we all called in some capacity to teach his word to other people or to share his word? Yeah, totally. I mean, whether it be by example or whether it be verbally, that's something we're all called to, right? At the same time, are there some people that are specifically called to pray a lot? Like more than your average disciple. Totally. Are there some, some people that are called to like, like intensively study the word of God? And some people who are called to like really preach Yeshua like as a passion, as something that they're really gifted at or, or teach the Bible and explain it and make it come alive for people. Yeah, absolutely. Hey? So, so we see that in this passage. Even though all of the disciples prayed, all of them were telling the stories of Yeshua, all of them were teaching by example, there was a group of men that said, Yeshua has called us to full-time just spend a lot of time in prayer and spend a lot of time in the Word of God, studying it and then communing it communicating it to this community. Um, I, I think that's something that every community with a growth mindset will eventually arrive at. Um, just to say, you know what, if we really want to go for this thing, if we really want to see expansive growth, if we want to break out, there may be a time to identify the people in our midst that have a passion to pray for hours every day. To recognize the men who have caught a call from the Master they just to just study the word and then and, and teach the word. You know, there are men who are just called to that and passionate about it, and women too, of course. And just to recognize those people. And I think there are times for communities to say, you know what, you're you have too much on your plate. Like you have a family, you have a full time job, but you're also very gifted and God's called you to spend hours a day in prayer or studying the word. We want you to would you quit your job? And would you let us as a community support you and launch you into into doing those kinds of things full time for the kingdom of God? You know, something this story teaches us is there's a time to do that as communities, especially if we want to grow. You know, if we're just trying to survive, if we're just comfortable with our own little group and we have a maintenance mindset, you don't really have to do that. But if you really want to grow and expand the kingdom of God in your area, there's a time to just put people into that work full time, release them, and just tell them to go for it. And then support them in what God moves them to do with the Holy Spirit, uh, the, 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 uh, the trajectory that the Holy Spirit inspires them to take. So sometimes people point to the Apostle Paul and they say, well, you know, that's a pretty good model. This guy worked a job, he kind of had his own business, and then he also preached Yeshua and did these other things. That's what, that's what everybody who's called to do kingdom works to do. Something that I would point out about the Apostle Paul is that he didn't have a family. If you're like a single guy, it's way easier to moonlight a couple of jobs and also like, you know, preach and spend hours in praying and blah, 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 right? If you have a family, like, you kind of have a wife that probably would like you to spend some time with her 
and you have kids that want to play with you and that you need to teach God's word to. And you probably, if you have a family, you're going to be working hard to support your family so they're not all like, so that you like can have some nice things and things, right? And when I look at like most of the men that I know, between their families and work, they don't have a lot of time left. They just don't have a lot of time to like pray for hours a day to uh, really get in the Word and let's say get some teachings and stuff like that going, right? So just on a very practical level, it's a reality that I think some communities need to come to grips with. Here's the last question I have for you from the story. What does this story tell us about Yeshua? And the answer is nothing. Yeshua is not mentioned in this story. Just joking. Yeshua isn't mentioned in this story, but do you think maybe this story does have a thing or two to tell us about our beloved Master? Uh-huh. I, I think so. Um, a couple, there are three things that I, I, I saw in the story. Uh, one simply is that Yeshua calls people. Yeshua called uh, Stephen and Philip and the other five dudes to a task of serving his people. Yeshua called those guys. It wasn't just the community that chose them. It wasn't just the apostles that put their hands on them. That was Yeshua working by his Holy Spirit in the midst of his people to call those men. It was also Yeshua who called the apostles to invest a lot of time in prayer and to teach his word to that community. So that's the first thing the story tells us about Yeshua is that he calls people. Um, The second thing this story could tell us is that Yeshua is the leader of his people, but that's not an abstract thing. Yeshua leads in concrete ways through people that he raises up to serve his, uh, his body. So Yeshua was leading, yes, but it was through the apostles, and then it was also through uh, these administrators that, uh, that were given a specific job. And then thirdly, uh, this is some, something that's explicitly stated, but I think we could infer that when communities hit growth pains, when communities have this diversity that makes them ask, should we stay together? Is it really worth it? Or should we all just break down into our own little tiny subcultures and comfortable groups? Yeshua is happy when we as his people stay together. I believe that it brings joy to our master's heart and I believe it honors his name when we come up with creative solutions, when we say, yeah, you know, we do have our own little subcultures and we do have our own languages and we do have our house groups, but let's also stay together as a broader, a broader body. I think that's something that brings joy to the Master's heart and I think it's something that, uh, that really honors his name also. So maybe that's something else that this story would, uh, would have to teach us, not explicitly, but implicitly about the Master. Um, I, um, I think that this story is in the word for reason. Uh, did you notice how, like, as I'm telling the story, you can see how it applies to us as a community of Yeshua's disciples, but it also applies to all of us as the body of Christ in the city. Uh, a lot of these principles apply not just to faith communities, but to businesses also, uh, sometimes even to, like, marriages, all of these things. So let, let me ask you, God gave you this story today. Freely you've received. Is there someone that you could freely give this story to in this upcoming week? Is there, is there someone that might get something out of it? To hear the story about the early Yeshua community and how there was a diversity of languages. They were taking care of their widows. There were some people that didn't have their me- needs met. They are hitting growth pains. And instead of splitting and breaking down, they came up with a creative solution. They delegated tasks. Um, 
and everybody gave it a thumbs up. Maybe there's someone that you know in your life that would really enjoy hearing that story. Um, I, I dare you. I dare you to tell this story to someone in this upcoming week. So I'll leave you with that question and I want to pray for a minute and then we can continue our maybe have some group discussion about this story too there's something specific I want to I want to pray about uh, from the story Uh, there's a there's a word it was like a recurring word that popped up in the story and it's the word full did you guys notice that? I don't there was something about Yeshua's guys and the experience that they had and they could only describe it as being full like if you were a vehicle your tank is not on empty your tank is full. I'll, I'll give you a, just, I think I'll read you the three places where that comes up. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, the apostles are speaking to the community of disciples and they say, Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Then it describes Stephen in verse uh, 5, and it says, Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Then later in 6 verse 8 in the next story, it said Stephen was full of grace and power. So did you hear that? Yeshua's disciples, they had this experience from God of being full of the Holy Spirit. Let's count them on our fingers how many things they were full of. They were full of the Holy Spirit, um, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, and full of power. That's five things. You know, those are, those are fantastic things to ask God for, uh, for yourself, and maybe for people that you know also. God, would you fill us? Would you fill this person with your Holy Spirit, with grace, with faith, with power, with wisdom? Those are like, it's so simple, right? But when God fills someone with one of those things, it's very often the answer to the biggest problems that they could be dealing with. You know, if someone is having a problem in a relationship, just say, God, please fill that person with faith and fill that person with wisdom. If someone is having problems with their health, just say, God, please fill that person with, with what? With your Holy Spirit, with, with your power, with your grace. Can, can you hear that? Like, there's such simple things. But very often, you know, it's like we, we have someone that we know and we're like, I really want to pray for that person, but I don't know what to pray. Uh, that's just a really simple... Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.